Corporate sponsorship of the Recon Havoc podcast is provided by Game Day Men's Health in Madison. Men, let's face it. We know you hate going to the doctor, but Game Day Men's Health in Madison isn't your average doctor. They get you in and out quickly with their simple, yet uniquely customized three-step process. Game Day Men's Health offers testosterone replacement therapy, ED, weight loss treatments, HGH peptides, vitamin wellness, and other top-of-the-line services specifically designed to help you be the best husband, father, professional, and man you can be. Your initial consultation and testosterone level test is free. Game Day Men's Health. Visit them online at gamedaymenshealth.com forward slash Huntsville and book an appointment or go by their office at 9238 Madison Boulevard, Suite 1300B in Madison. Game Day Men's Health. Call 256-850-1570. 256-850-1570. When you need to be your best, it's Game Day Men's Health. Recon Havoc. Recon Havoc. News, interviews, and more. We just reek of Huntsville Havoc Hockey. Happy New Year and welcome to the Recon Havoc Podcast. I'm Tim Lambert. If you're new, I invite you to go back and check out past episodes. It's a great way to get familiar with the backstory of the team from the viewpoints of former and current players, coaches, and staff. This week we hit two of those categories as Laura Pitts talks with former player and coach John Gibson. Current head coach Stu Steffen gives us his pick of the pack later on, too. Keep it here for more of the Recon Havoc podcast. The Recon Havoc podcast. One of the worst feelings you can have is that of being stranded. Well, BT's towing, tire, and truck repair makes that a thing of the past with 24-7 towing services and roadside assistance in the northern Alabama and southern Tennessee areas. But that's not all. They also offer truck and trailer repair, mobile welding, brake service and repair, new and used tires, and other major and minor repairs. Their name says it all, BT's Towing, Tire, and Truck Repair. For 24-7 response, call 497-8234. That's 497-8234. BT's Towing, Tire, and Truck Repair. Got something to say? Put it on a t-shirt or hoodie or apron or even an iPhone case. Just go to DaddyO'sCustomTees.com and make it happen. Look through their selection of ready-made designs or make one of your own. Check out their special hockey designs, too. With Daddy-O's Custom Tees, you can truly have it your way. Look for Daddy-O's Custom Tees on Facebook, follow them on Twitter or Instagram, or go online to DaddyO'sCustomTees.com. That's D-A-D-D-Y-O-S Custom T-E-E-S dot com. Daddy-O's Custom Tees. They've got your back or front. Athens Utilities comprises Athens Electric, Athens Gas, and Athens Water Services. Together, we are committed to providing reliable and affordable electricity, natural gas, and water and wastewater services. We operate as part of the city of Athens, and just like our city's motto of Athens is classic, southern, character, we believe in supporting what makes our community special. Call 233-8750, come by our office at 508 South Jefferson Street, or look for the link online at AthensAL.us. Let's go in the slot. Welcome back, everyone, to another In the Slot segment. I'm Laura Pitts, and today we have former Channel Cats player, Havoc um, coach, Channel Cats coach, all the good things. Mr. John Gibson here with us to chat. John, welcome to the show and welcome as our first official podcast guest for the 2024 year. We're really happy to have you. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate the invite. Thank you so much. So I would say it's safe to say that it's been a while since you've been on the ice, both as a player and as a coach. So I'm curious, um, how do you kind of reflect on that whole experience that you had um, during that time of your life? Yeah, I mean, it was all a positive experience for me. Um, you know, being a kid from Canada and you're, you're always dreaming about uh, playing pro hockey and, and um, doing something you love for a living and, and was able to chase that dream down here in uh, in the minor leagues, and uh, I was fortunate enough to land uh, here in Huntsville. Um, started in the uh, East Coast training camp, and then landed in Huntsville, and then uh, had a great five years here uh, as a player, and then um, played another year um, as a 
as a veteran and then uh, got into coaching and got with Keith, who's obviously the current owner of the team. He was, he was with another owner that brought back the channel cat team. And then we had one season and, and got, uh, and then started up the SPHL and I was four seasons with them and then uh, chased around kids on the ice for a little bit. And then uh, now I'm just a real estate appraiser. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the short story, but the, the experience was wonderful. I mean, um, it's really a, a dream come true f- for the most part. So take us, I guess, a little bit deeper into your hockey journey, especially for those of us who were newer Havoc fans who were not around during your time as a player and a coach. And then also I know a lot of um, newer Havoc fans are just learning about the the legacy that was kind of set with the Channel Cats that kind of led into the Havoc. Um, But you said that you were from Canada and that you kind of dreamed like other kids in your um, life being in a pro hockey setting. Um, tell us about growing up, playing hockey as a kid, um, kind of how that passion for playing was instilled in you. Well, I think it's just in your blood, uh, being from Canada. I grew up in Kingston, Ontario. Um, got uh, an older sister and a younger brother, and uh, my brother and I uh, lived on the ice and lived in uh, ball hockey equipment and constantly uh, playing and skating and um, my parents were up and down the roads, uh, taking us on the travel hockey, as they call it down here. We called it all-star hockey, uh, in Canada. And I just, uh, you know, grew up playing in, uh, the double A system in, in Kingston Township and, um, made my way up to junior C and then went to the University of Western Ontario to actually play football. Because in Canada, when you're 18, 19, you think your hockey career is over. So I thought I would uh, play the play football if I could in university and uh, went on as a walk-on. I kind of had a bum knee, so I um, didn't do very well in camp and uh, decided to um, jump on the ice with, with the hockey team and got cut, actually. And so that, that first year of university, I, I didn't play any sports. So I, was, I think I was going through withdrawal. So part of me was saying that, you know, hey, I can make that team, um, that university team, which ended up being a, a lot of ex-junior A OHL players um, that don't get uh, drafted or don't go down to the States to play. So it's really good hockey. So I told myself, I'll try to keep this short story, I told myself that, um, you know, that mentally I could make that team and uh, took a year off school, went back, played junior, tried to uh, hone my skills a little more and then went back uh, my second year at university and jumped on with the tryouts. And, and there was a hundred of us that walked on, which didn't include the core players that they were bringing back. And uh, was able to chip away at that 100-man roster. And myself and another player were, were one of only two guys that made the team as walk-ons out of 100 people. So that's my uh, my long shot story. <laughs> and then uh, and then graduated from Western, uh, University of Western Ontario. It's in London, Ontario. And we went, uh, went down to Louisville and the East Coast League and had a good camp there. Um, stuck around to the end and then got the old uh it's the numbers game speech so um uh, ended up eventually in Huntsville and uh, that's kind of the story of, of getting to where I got you said you were one of two people that kind of made yeah. that, that made that team what are that's pretty that's a pretty wonderful odd if you think about it that you you got you know <laughs> yeah. that opportunity what do you think allowed you to stand out among the other individuals that you were competing with that's a good question. I mean, I must have been doing something right. Um, like I said, I knew uh, just there was something inside of me that said that I could crack that team. And then I tell that story to a lot of kids that, um, you know, maybe don't make it first time around or, or get cut along the way at some point. It just uh, just makes you a stronger player um, physically and mentally. And um, it, it paid dividends for me. It, it showed me, uh, you know, to never give up no matter what. And uh, went on to uh, win a, an Ontario championship with that team. I was the assistant captain the second year I was there. So um, they must have, whatever I brought to the ice, they must have uh, approved of it. You also mentioned that in Canada, like when you're 18, 19, sometimes you feel like your hockey career is over. Why? Explain that a little bit. I've not heard that statement from 
anyone yet. Is that like a, is it just because, you know, you're kind of growing out of playing in certain leagues and maybe not getting opportunities to go pro? Um, yeah, you're, you're running out of, of leagues because you're just going to age out. So university um, for us in Canada started at the age of 19. So uh, my brother, for example, was 15 years old when he left home to go play junior A. So they take you at an early age <laughs> away from your parents and off you go. And uh, you, you have basically your three or four year window and then you're drafted in the HL at uh, 18, 19 years old. Um, so when I'm off to, off to university at that same age, and I'm obviously not drafted anywhere, <laughs> not, not even close. Just mentally, you think, you know, your hockey career is over. It's time to move on to something else. So that's why I gave football a shot because I played football in high school and I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, because of my bum knee, running wasn't going to be a thing I could do long term. Um, ended up having a, a few ACL surgeries. But, um, yeah, that's just uh, – uh, it's common. I mean, you have a small window in Canada to determine where you're going to end up. So, again, it was a long shot to – not only make the, the Western team, but then to, to crack the line up here down in, down in the States. And how did you find success with that knee injury in hockey? I mean, if it prevented you or was, you know, preempting you from being able to play football in college, what kind of clicked over in your head to say, I know my knee's hurt, this is happening, but I still think I might can play hockey with it? Yeah, so running and cutting is a lot harder on an ACL than skating. So I think um, that was the issue with with the football. Um, I I played without an ACL for almost all my career um, in university and and minor pro with with no ACL. I just wore a brace. Um, So just the the gliding nature of the game isn't as hard on a knee as as a football or a basketball or or even soccer for that matter. So it was just the way I needed to go. So what position did you want to play in hockey? Was it the one you ended up doing? Or, you know, I've heard from some guys that said they had these goal these goals as kids to uh to go out and be goalies and they soon realized that the goalie position was not something they were cut out for. So what was your kind of story in finding your position in hockey? Well, I think, you know, when you're growing up at a younger age, the, the coaches are, are um you know, analyzing your skills set. Uh, during practices and during tryouts. And I just happened to be a strong backward skater um, when I was younger. So I just got um, put into the defensive uh, position and just grew up playing it all along. So it was kind of just how it fit for me and and my skill set at the time. And I just kind of stuck with it. So um, tell us, Neil, a little bit about – how you became um, down here in Huntsville specifically Um, at the time before um, you became a player down here. Did you know about hockey in the South? Was it something that was kind of talked about or was it like some of the people that I've talked to kind of a whole new world where they didn't realize that, you know, the South had hockey going for them. Yeah, I actually knew nothing about it. I mean, I I thought, um, you know, the, the only league really down here in this, area was the east coast hockey league so when i uh, when i graduated from western my coach and assistant coach at the time uh he was a scout for the philadelphia flyers and he helped me get a tryout in louisville where i actually met um phil daggle you got to get him on this podcast he's a character <laughs> met phil daggle they ended up being a teammate of mine here in huntsville um, so we went through that training camp, um, and then when I got released, I was on my way home, and uh, I believe it or not, my car broke down, so I had to tow it all the way back to Kingston from Louisville. And I get a phone call the next day, and my brother was already playing minor pro at the time, and I think he was down in Tallahassee in the East Coast League, and he... um he also played roller hockey. There was a roller hockey league. So the head coach was here was Larry Floyd, and the assistant coach was Brent Sapersia. Well, Brent Sapersia had played, I'm not sure if it was with or against my brother in roller hockey, so he was aware of, of my brother. My brother had been drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks, and he'd gone that route, and I kind of went the university route. 
Um, but that being said, uh, I got a phone, I got a phone call from Brent Persia because he saw my name come across the, the, the waiver wire and he actually thought it was my brother. <laughs> so he, so he called my brother and my brother said, no, 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 no. He said, that's John. That's, that's my brother. He said, but he's just as good as I am. He said, give him a call and I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll come down and play. So when I got a call from Brent and he, he said, uh, he said Huntsville and, I, and there's a Huntsville, Ontario. And, um, I was like, you guys got a, minor pro hockey team Huntsville Ontario and he goes no 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 he goes Huntsville Alabama <laughs> so no joke I said I said you guys got ice down there he said he, said, he laughed he, he said yeah we do and I said tell you what I just looked at my parents told them who I was talking to and, and they kind of gave me the nod because I'd come back I was pretty black with the stitches because training camp was pretty rough in Louisville and um, I'm sure my mom would have rather I stuck around, but they kind of gave me the nod. And I said, tell you what, do you send me a f- plane ticket? Because my car broke down. I said, I'll, I'll be there. I was on, on my way to Toronto in the morning. And I was I was down here, landed the next day in the afternoon. <laughs> so that's kind of how it came about. So you get down here to Huntsville and um, you become part of the team. And you were on the Channel Cats. I think I've got it from 1995 to 2000, if I think that's right. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience playing um, that long for the league. Um, some of the memories maybe you even have um, of being down here, part of that team. Well, I mean, we were, it was a very welcoming, welcoming city. I mean, the people in the community were great. They supported us on and off the ice. Uh, we became friends with a lot of uh you know, fans and sponsors over the years. And uh, we had some great coaches, Larry Floyd. Um, who was my coach that championship year? I'd have to look and see what it was. Um, but we had some great coaches come through here um, that uh, just made it fun to play. And I think, uh, you know, we were called the Hockey Capital South for a reason. Um, you know, I think we were one of the teams in the leagues that would have always the best attendance, always the best fans, one of the hardest ranks to come in and play in. Uh, we always had a tough physical team and we always kind of won that mental advantage before teams even got on the ice. And, uh, it was something we tried to carry on, not only when I was playing, but as, as a coach as well. I think it was important to kind of be in the other team's head before they even stepped on the ice. But uh, we had a, we had a great run here in Huntsville. We won uh, two championships um, as a player and won a championship as a coach. Uh, so a lot of great memories uh, here in Huntsville. And believe it or not, my brother and I ended up matching up for a year. He had taken a slap shot in the eye, lost part of his eyesight when he was playing in Lake Charles. And so they weren't going to put them back on the ice, um, just liability reasons and workers' comp reasons. So um, he's a great player. So I told uh, – oh, it was Coach Stewart. Coach Stewart was um, the coach at the time in 78 – or 97, 98. And we brought my brother in and um, ended up winning the championship that year. So got to experience not only winning a rare championship at the minor pro level, but experiencing it with my brother as well. So it was pretty cool. So what did your brother think about um, coming down here into this Southern atmosphere and playing hockey? He enjoyed it. He um, he traveled around and been on a few teams. He'd been in the Tallahassee Tiger Sharks. We'd been down in Florida and he was on that Lake Charles team, which is in Louisiana. So he traveled all around in the, in the East coast league and the Western pro league. So for him, it may have just been another stop, but I know he enjoyed his time here. Um, and he and was your, he's your older brother, correct? Younger, older, younger brother. Younger brother. Okay. So, yeah. so growing up, having been siblings, playing the game, you know, doing all those things. Now you've got this one memory of being able to have that with your brother forever of being on a team like that. Um, even if it was just for a short, short moment. Um, did, was that, did you ever think something like that would happen that you would actually get to play alongside your brother like that? No. Oh, so when, when they weren't, um, going to let him on the ice uh, down on Lake Charles for whatever the reasons they gave him. Um, I thought it was an opportunity to, to jump at, jump at, uh, just to be able to experience that. And I remember Coach Stewart <laughs> thinking that we were, that we were brothers, um, that we would kind of have like this sixth sense about each other. 
while we're on the ice. So he paired us up um, the very first game, very first shift. And uh, I think we, <laughs> I think they scored against us. So Coach Stewart goes, well, enough of that, <laughs> and switched us out. We, did. we didn't play much together after that. But, I mean, we would, but we weren't partnered up all the time. But yeah, uh, killing penalties and power plays and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great time. Was it an interesting experience to kind of, like, see the differences that you had, like the two of you had in playing the game? Like, you grew up together playing it. It's not like you didn't know each other, how each other played. but Apparently, you know, playing on the same line together, being paired up, some of you had strengths, so you had weaknesses back and forth. So that's kind of interesting to hear that that wasn't something, you know, that he, that your coach thought, oh, this is going to be a great pairing. Um, but in reality, maybe you guys were two really different players, even though. No, I think it, just, it, it was just a funny scenario that they scored on the very first shift against us. So his, yeah. his idea, his, his thought process of us kind of reading each other's <laughs> minds and knowing where each other's going to be on the ice. Yeah. Uh, wasn't going to play, but when you're a defenseman in the minor pro leagues, you're you are usually partnered up with a partner, but a lot of times you're only playing with four or five D. So you're constantly rotating that, that rotation. So I did spend a lot of time with them on the ice um over the course of the season. But just that was just a funny story how that how that first shift played out. Do you have any good um memories regarding fights that you had as a player? We always like talking I mean, about fighting. <laughs> it's just part of the game and I mean um most would say that um you know just it was an opportunity for for the players to police themselves um i wasn't a big scrapper but you know it's was, it was just part of the game um there was other guys that were were much better at it than i was and it was more of their role but i was always always there to support <laughs> and do my part uh, when needed so um there's no real crazy fights that, that stand out um but i just know i was proud to be part of one of the tougher teams in the league uh, at the time. And like I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, teams really feared coming in here. We call it the Huntsville flu and teams would come in and um, all of a sudden you'd have three healthy scratches or supposed to be healthy scratches. And they weren't, they were fine the day before, but now they're not skating. So, so we call it the Huntsville flu. So we we play other teams short because other guys didn't want to play against us. What do so you that's think, that's something I remember. <laughs> what do you think? Um, what do you think was kind of the glue that held that mentality in the league together? That the fear that other people had coming in that they didn't want to play you. I just think you had a, a you just had some coaches that were consistent with what they're trying to put on the ice. Um, you know, you can you can build a team in many different ways, and you know, back when I was playing. You know, being team tough was very important. And, and, and if you had, you know, depth at that skill, and it was a skill, um, where guys just didn't want to come in here and play us because um, we were just, we had we a handful of heavyweights, handful of middleweights, handful of uh, lightweights, for lack of a better term. So it, we just had a lot of guys that were willing to participate uh, when things, when the tough got, or when the going got tough, as they say. So I think this uh, our reputation preceded us, and uh, it, it obviously paid in our favor for sure. You can look at the statistics of like when I was playing, and then you, like look at the team stat, team penalty minutes, and kind of you could chart it over the years and how they've declined. I mean, yeah. there'd there'd be nothing you know for us to have five six scraps a night per night. So like fans were thoroughly enjoyed that. So that's how you'd convert those football guys. Cause they, they like the scraps. They like the yeah. speed. They like the hard hitting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I remember going on a winning streak. We didn't have any fights for like five games. We won five games in a row and we had what they called a blue line club. So after games, the members of the blue line club would meet with the players and hang out and have a drink. And, and I was just getting like berated <laughs> because there was no fights. And I'm like, yeah, but we won five in a row. Isn't that important? And the fans just, they just want that entertainment value of those scraps. Yeah. But you can't, they're not, you can't predict them. Uh, you can't script them. Um, they happen for a reason, which I'm sure some guys will, will try to explain. Uh, sometimes it's hard to explain to a non-hockey person, but 
Um, there's a reason they happen and there's a code that's followed and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I thought winning five games in a row would make everybody happy, but I guess not. <laughs> oh, it's those thoughts. You always want to see a thought. That's funny. Oh yeah. Always. When I, when we're looking at which game we're going to, my, my son will say, Oh, well, there'll be fights that night. We're playing Birmingham. We always fight Birmingham. We're, we're playing them. We're always going to get into a fight. And I'm like, yeah. oh, gosh, she really, like, I don't know what this says about the fact that you know this is going to happen. Or, like, that's your anticipation <laughs> point of knowing you want to go to that. That's it. That's it. And that's why you like those rivalry games, because the fans get extra excited for them and, and it puts more people in the seats Yeah, when you can yeah. when you create those rivalries. So. So you stay a, a player from 95 to 2000 and then you're, you're gone for a few years before you come back, um, and you're able to coach. What was going on in that transition period between being in Huntsville and then coming back as a coach? Yeah, I think it was only about a year. I'd gone, moved back to Canada and I was working in my dad's business. Um, he was in the apartment business. So I was kind of getting molded into that new position. He was looking to, I think, retire and was looking to pass the, bat- the baton. So Tom was doing that for maybe a year, year and a half. And then I heard that um, John Cherney uh, was trying to bring back a team here. He was the owner of the Huntsville Tornado, um, if you're aware of them. So John Cherney's name has kind of been around a little bit here in the Huntsville area in relation to hockey and he wanted to bring back the Channel Cats, so he reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in coaching. Uh, once again, I had to go get approval from parents <laughs> because I'd made a big move to go to Canada, and they were always supportive in uh, uh, all of uh, our, us kids, my brother and sister, and supported our dreams. So, again, they gave me the nod and packed back up and drove back down south and uh, and then never, never left. I'm still here in Huntsville. When you decided to come back and coach, um, what kind of led you to know that this was a um, this was the next kind of step in your career that you wanted to move into? Had coaching always been something you thought about down the line, or was this just an opportunity that kind of hit you head on and you kind of took it and ran? Yeah, the opportunity presented itself. I don't think it was ever coaching was ever on my radar. So when, when, um, when John Turner gave me, gave me that call, you know, I was, I didn't have a, any coaching experience really. I mean, sometimes the players get molded into it and they're a player assistant, uh, then they're an assistant and then they're a head coach. So I kind of just dove in head first and, uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, as a younger coach, I think I was one of the younger minor pro coaches in the country at the time. Um, so I relied heavily on, some of my old teammates who I brought in as players and uh, like Mike DeGurst, James Patterson, Matt Carmichael, guys of that nature that um, I played against and uh, or played with and then totally trusted their opinion. And they were very helpful uh, for me in my transition to that coaching position. I, I just had guys I could bounce things off of and, and they knew players and, uh, you know, it's just a pay- player pipeline. Who knows who and who can bring in who and, so those guys were helpful for me in my early days. We'll be back with more of the Recon Havoc podcast. Time now for the Huntsville Havoc pick of the pack, a weekly spotlight from head coach Stuart Steffen. David Thompson, uh, number 13, came here at the start of the year, got hurt the first game of the year. So this is an extended period of time there. So, you know, he's kind of taking a little bit of time to get back into the swing of things. But, you know, over the last few weeks there, he's, you know, scored some big goals for us. Definitely an offensive threat for us. You know, got a really good shot. You know, really good on the power play. So, you know, a guy we look to a little bit. Again, played a couple years of pro hockey, so he does have some experience there. So, you know, kind of a leader up front for us a little bit. You know, I think just with him too is, uh, I think he's still trying to get back into the swing of things a little bit. But for the most part, we've been pretty happy with his game. And, you know, I think the defensive part of his game is starting to come around too. So, looking for him to be, you know, kind of an all-around 200-foot player for us. So, you know, I think things are uh, trending in that direction. The Recon Havoc podcast will be right back. Men, let's face it, we know you hate going to the doctor, but Game Day Men's Health and Medicine isn't your average doctor. They get you in and out quickly with their simple, yet uniquely customized three-step process. Game Day Men's Health offers low T, ED, and weight loss treatment, along with HGH, 
hormone pellet, and testosterone replacement therapy among their services specifically designed to help you be the best husband, father, professional, and man that you can be without synthetic hormones. And your initial consultation and testosterone level test is free. Game Day Men's Health. Visit them online at gamedaymenshealth.com forward slash Huntsville and book an appointment or go by their office at 9238 Madison Boulevard, Suite 1300B in Madison. Game Day Men's Health. Call 256-850-1570. 256-850-1570. When you need to be your best, it's Game Day Men's Health. Want to howl with the havoc this season? Now's your chance from Applebee's Tailgate Talk and the Reekin' Havoc podcast. Just go to wreakinghavoc.com and click on Howl with the Havoc to register and listen to Tailgate Talk on Saturday mornings as we announce the winners of Huntsville Havoc tickets. Howl with the Havoc this season from the Huntsville Havoc, Tailgate Talk, and the Reekin' Havoc podcast. This is Glenn Tulio, and you're listening to the Reekin' Havoc podcast. When you started coaching, what did you kind of do to get yourself in a coaching mentality? Um, you said it was not something you had planned on doing, maybe something you weren't really familiar with, but you kind of get in there. It's your first day in the seat as a coach. How did you prepare yourself to kind of transition from also being a player to a coach to knowing that it's not you necessarily out there playing to win the game, but you're now having to um, mentor and train others to do that? Well, there's different kinds of coaches. You know, there's players' coaches. There's coaches' coaches. Um, You know, I wanted to be somewhere down the middle. Um, Spent a lot of time in those initial days just networking, calling – teams in the higher levels because I know the trickle-down effect and that's where you get a lot of your players from. Obviously, it wasn't a lot of time to do any recruiting. It wasn't time to fly to Canada and go go to camps or hold any free agent camps or anything like that. So those early days were just been on the phone, cold calling East Coast Hockey League coaches and just, um, you know, basically saying, you know, keep, keep Huntsville in mind. We're a new team, new league coming back definitely going to look for players and, and just working that those relationships. So, you know, they scratch our back, we scratch theirs kind of deal. Um, so you got to be careful of those two. And I'm sure as the coach, other coaches will say is that if you scratch too many backs, then all of a sudden your lineup can get plucked pretty good. If everybody needs players all at the same time and you're left with nobody. Um, but, but at that time, that's all I could do um, was to network just to, just for, to get players. Your first coaching game, lots are on, your, you know, team's coming out. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. No. What what about any of the ones going after that? Do you remember any of those? Um, I mean, there's none that really stick out in particular, um, you know, at the start of my career. I just, it was just a, it was just a learning curve and, and, coming up with uh, game plans, game strategies, how to keep your players focused um, night in and night out. Sometimes we're doing three games and three nights with travel, trying to make sure they're healthy and um, taking care of themselves. And, you know, so there's a lot more uh, of uh, off the ice is what's going on on the ice too. You know, you're scheduling buses, you're scheduling hotels, you're making sure everyone's got their per diem. Um, So there's a lot more going on than just what's going on on the ice. That was almost – uh, your getaway um, because you had three hours of focusing just on, on, on the game itself. But yeah. off the ice again, you're, you're a lot of time watching game tapes. You know, the game's over, you jump on the bus, you throw on the game tape on your way to the next city, break that tape down in case you want to show the team anything uh, before next practice and then jump on the ice in the morning. So it was just, it was just, a, that was just the thing is just constantly being, um, on task and being organized because the more organized the coaches, the more organized your players are going to be. And then, um, what happens is that the channel cats move, you know, they're there one year and the next thing you're changing team mascot, team colors and everything and the havoc are emerging. Um, so what was it like being a coach from one team to the next? Did something, did you have to change a lot of stuff, um, and process of going from one type of team image and idea to this new one? And kind of how did you approach that, um, after one season and then everything kind of 
Let me, uh, we were fortunate that um, Keith Jeffries was, uh, I'm almost positive he was part of the Channel Cat team along with John Turney. So Keith was around, um, our general manager, Kevin Walker, was around. Uh, another executive, uh, Ashley Bolt, was around in that Channel Cat year. So I had that familiarity that when we were transitioning into the Havoc, um, you know, I had some familiar faces uh, around me. So that being said, I, I recall sitting in an office with, with those four guys I just mentioned, or, or maybe a couple extras. We were basically sitting there. We didn't have a league. <laughs> we didn't have a name. We didn't have colors. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a mascot. Um, we didn't have anything. So it was, there was a lot more to that, um, just helping build what the havoc is today. So those were the building blocks that we started out with. So it was fun going through color, picking colors and narrowing down team name and, and, you know, just other decisions that had to be made were easier too, like team doctors, things of that nature were already kind of in place. So we weren't necessarily starting from scratch, but. We definitely did. didn't have a whole lot to work with at the time, but it was fun to be part of it. So narrowing down names, I'm just curious what potentially, don't remember. I was about don't to remember. say, what potentially could we have been if you don't remember? Don't remember. I definitely, it wasn't the trash can, as I know there was none of, none of that was up on the board. <laughs> but, it, but it got narrowed down. I, I can't remember if we, we put it out to a vote or we did any kind of social media because that was minimal at the time. Um, I think we had like, some call-ins and, and we just, and we, we just went out in the public to kind of get people's opinions and, um, the havoc just seemed to be what stuck out, and uh, we ran with it. And then you were havoc coach for four years, um, from two thousand four to two thousand eight. Tell us a little bit yep. about that time as a havoc coach, too. Kind of um, building a team, kind of getting some stability. I mean, here we are now, twenty years later, with the havoc yeah. happening, and you were kind of the beginning of that adventure. Yeah. It was, it's fun to look back now and, and, and know that, uh, was part of that, um, uh, building process. But it, it wasn't just the Huntsville. I mean, it was the building of a league. Um, you know, we've seen some teams come and go and, and the team, the league is as strong as I'm sure as it's ever been. But I think we went, we started with six and then went to eight and we'd bounce around in the seven, eight, nine. Um, but I think, I think they're 10 or 12 now. I'm not sure. Um, I don't follow it as close as I should, but um, it was just fun being part of that and, and just experiencing all the players that would come through and and uh, you meet meet a lot of you know friends that I'm still with today, um, guys that I coached and guys that reach out periodically and say hello. So I, I definitely appreciate my time um, those first four seasons. I had um, Jason Daguerre on a few yes. ago, and he yeah. mentioned the story about you, so so to speak, leaving your calling card for him and him kind of blowing it off to begin with and not realizing who you were, trying to get him to come um, be a player. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and that story? He must have been referring to Pensacola. So him and Dan Buccella started in, in uh, Pensacola, and Coach uh, Gordon was a coach that I had played for in Fayetteville. So he was part of my networking that I mentioned earlier. So he invited me down to his camp um, in hopes that guys that weren't going to crack his lineup, I could get in their ear uh, and, and maybe draw them to Huntsville. So I think Jay had pulled his um, hamstring or a quad or something. So, uh, he was in the recovery room or training room and I, I think I approached him and, and uh, kind of, you know, threw a couple hints at, uh, who I was in, uh, Huntsville and this and that. But you also don't want to, you know, kill that Pensacola dream. That's where they were and that's where their hopes are. But uh, Gordo had kind of given me the, the nod on a couple guys that I could go talk to just to give them a plan B. Um, so yeah, Jay just kind of brushed me off, <laughs> which was fine. I, I don't blame him because, uh, he really had his, his hopes set on, on playing in Florida, but it just turned out uh, that, um, when the two of them got cut, um, they both reached out to me and, and we brought them to Huntsville and they were a big part of who our team was and, 
a uh, big part of our team chemistry. Our team chemistry was great here in Huntsville. Um, I was a big advocate of that. Um, sometimes it's more important to have team chemistry than than skill and, and toughness. If if the guys go to war together, uh, the team's going to go much further uh, that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, he definitely, he, he gave me the brush off, but, uh, it worked out in the long run and I'm friends with Jay to this day. You talk about team chemistry and, um, I'm always interested in how you maintain a chemistry for a team, especially when guys come and go, you win, you lose. Sometimes you have a couple of bad stretches where you lose a bunch of games in a row kind of thing. How do you keep that as a coach, especially? How do you keep that mentality up, that mental toughness, that chemistry between the guys? How do you keep that cohesion? Well, what I remember is just it really starts with the players. I mean, uh, they've got to believe in themselves. And then, you know, you're going to go through those highs and lows during a season. And the players just have to know that. And hopefully there's more, high, more highs than lows. But th- those are the guys you want to keep around that are able to persevere, uh, be positive thinkers, uh, put in the extra time when it's needed. Uh, work with the younger guys. It's always it's always good to have a good mix of older guys and younger guys. Um, you know, someone to to show the younger guys the ropes. And you know, unfortunately, it's sports, so there's going to be ups and downs no matter what sport you play in. And just you learn that uh, along the way, even growing up. That's why I think kids playing sports is is so important. Um, it's not all about just the participation, but it's but what you learn from being a part of a team and going through ups and downs together and becoming closer knit uh, group because of it. So sometimes you can't always predict how a team's going to react or respond, but um, you just hope you've put together the right players to, to assist with that uh, positive outcome. During that havoc tenure of you coaching, what was one memory you, that stands out the most? Well, let me tell you, we were, well, speaking about streaks, we were on a 10 game heater w- winning streak <laughs> and we were up in Fayetteville. The guys will laugh at this one though. I know it's a family show, so we'll keep it family friendly, but <laughs> we, we, we went on a, a, a 10 game winning streak and we went to Fayetteville and we ended up losing on a Saturday night. Uh, they had a big crowd up there and, um, just wasn't our night. So. Uh, when uh, the guys were in the locker room, uh, Mike DeGers was my player assistant at the time. I told I told Goose, I said, uh, I said, make sure everybody sits down. I said, uh, uh, I said, just go along with with what I'm doing. So Goose says, okay. <laughs> so the guys get the guys are all in there. They're all bummed, um, and uh, they're a little upset. And so I'm pacing back and forth like I'm really mad, but I'm really not. I mean, we just went on 10-game winning streak. <laughs> but I pretended like I was mad. And so I kicked the garbage can over one of those kind of outfits. And then I said, uh, boys, there's only one thing to do after a 10-game losing streak and or winning streak. And they're all looking at me. And they think, oh, my God, he's going to make us go out skate or he's going to make us do something. I said, Let's go drink some beers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we ended up uh, going and doing that. And we may have had a couple too many because I think we lost the next game on Sunday too. <laughs> so, now we're, so now we're on a two-game losing streak. So we had to write the ship for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I, I think some of the guys would remember that one. <clears throat> Sometimes you just got to have a little fun in the mix. That's right. You know, that's right. Thing. So, um, 2008 comes around and you don't end up having your contract renewed as head coach. And so I know that's kind of a interesting, kind of tough, you know, thing to talk about, but I watch a lot of sports, especially right now. We're at the end of college football season and I'm waiting to see, you know, who's, who's not coming back, who's moving, all these shifts that happen. And I always think about coaches in general and how you process that kind of news that kind of what you've established for your entire identity for the majority of your career and your life is now coming to an abrupt halt. How, how did that kind of happen? How did you, um, how did you handle that, um, 
and keep your spirits up and move forward, all, all of those things? Well, I think most coaches um, would agree that you're hired to be fired at some point. Um, you know, very rarely does a coach get to retire and hang his hat on his own, <laughs> on his own choice. Um, so it was just, uh, and that would be a question for Keith, I guess, but it was, um, you know, Keith mentioned just, he wanted to take the team in a different direction, which is um, understandable. I mean, I think we went, we missed the playoffs that last year I was there. So, um, and you never know, you know, it's it's not the, the coach's decision. It's obviously the, the owner's decision. So that was his decision at the time. The only way to handle it is, is in a professional manner and, and, and move forward and see where other opportunities may come about. And I didn't know if um, continuing to coach was what I wanted to do. I had a little boy at the time and uh, was divorced at the time. So, um, and they were here locally. So for me to go and coach somewhere else would mean leaving him behind and that wasn't something that I wanted to do so ended up um, moving into the industry I'm in now and uh, currently still in that industry so um, I'm a real estate appraiser here here locally in Huntsville. It's kind of one of those things too where you also as a coach don't necessarily always realize that the last game is the last game. Did you kind of know when the season ended that this was it or um were you kind of preparing yourself for that? Not necessarily. I mean, I know, um, you know, everyone had a little sour taste in their mouth for, um, you know, not making the playoffs that year. We're, we'd had a strong record over the years and, and making the playoffs, maybe not winning at all, but at least being playoff bound. So I knew that um, wasn't going to sit well. But, um, again, these are questions for Keith. Um what they tell us isn't always maybe what <laughs> the reasoning yeah. is, but, yeah. um, but it was, uh, is where, you know, just like, you know, we, we tell us players it's the numbers game or, uh, you know, we just don't have room for you and, and, and whatnot. So owners have their, their reasonings and, and thought processes too. So, um, again, like I said, you'd have to, if you interview Keith, it'd be a question for him, but, um, I'm, I'm still friends with Keith to this day and, um, consider him a good friend. So, um, bygones, bygones, I didn't take it personal, um, took it professionally and, and just moved on to something else. So, um, your son, did he have a, a bug to go skate and do hockey or was that something that didn't really, um, he didn't, uh, no, he didn't. Um, he eventually played uh, on his own time. Um, my son was diagnosed with autism when he was two. So, um, we didn't push him into sports. We didn't push him into anything. Um, and it's the reason I got involved with the Autism Resource Foundation here in town, and which is the reason we started the Legends of Huntsville hockey game. I don't know if you've heard of that. I've heard a little um, bit of it, but we'd yeah. love for you to share a little bit about that for, for us. Well, yeah. Well, my son, um, you know, and we're very fortunate that he's high-functioning. Uh, he's doing great right now. He's in uh, his first year at UAH. Uh, so very blessed uh, for that. But um, at the time, you know, he was recently diagnosed. And so you, you got a lot of questions and things going through your mind. And another reason why I didn't want to leave town and, and go and chase a coaching career when, you know, he needed his dad around. So um, so when, when it came to hockey, he finally did get into it and grew up playing. I think he was probably six or seven by the time he got started. So he got started a little late. But he enjoyed it and played it all through high school. And then even over Christmas this year, he said something about getting back into it. So I'm not sure if UAH has a, a league, uh, a league that he could play in. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that was the reason that we brought around the, the legends of Huntsville hockey game. Um, that it, it went on for 10 years and I worked with Keith on it. And, um, and he, him and, uh, Becky, uh, gave me the thumbs up to be able to pull it off. So what we did was we invited back, you know, anybody that had ever played here in Huntsville wanted to come back and, and play a game. We we just played a charity game before the um, Havoc would play. And, uh, geez, at times we'd have 40, 50 guys here that would return to Huntsville, which is just, you know, hats off to the Huntsville organization, the fans, the community, the players. The players just loved it here. 
even guys who just came through town and, and, you know, for a cup of coffee, as they say, and only played a few games, they loved it here. So we did that game for 10 years and we raised about half a million dollars um, over those 10 years for the Autism Resource Foundation, which is still up and going. I'm still part of it. And it just helps kids and families here in, in the Huntsville and Tennessee Valley um, just with some of the expenses and things that uh, crop up um, with, with kids that have autism, but sometimes insurances and things that we cover. Do they still do the um, Legends game, or is that something no, that's No, we kind of we dropped it. We thought you know, all good things have to come to an end, and yeah. we thought going 10 years, we, we – we did a two-year hiatus because of COVID, and just for me personally, it, it was a lot of time and a lot of you know involvement in putting it together. And yeah, and it's just for me personally, I thought you know, ten years is, is a good benchmark to to say we had a good run and, and move on to something new. <laughs> so what now? You're not you know. Hockey and coaching and all that is over with, but are you still a, a hockey connoisseur? You still follow the game on different levels? Absolutely. I mean, um, actually, uh, still follow the NHL. Obviously, I'm a season ticket holder with the Havoc. I share the I share a suite with uh, Mike DeGuris and Mark Bichon and Phil Daggle, all ex-players here in Huntsville. So we, and it's an excuse to get together and laugh about old times and, and uh, talk about a little hockey. But, uh, yeah, I still follow the NHL and get to get to some games here and there. I was up in Buffalo uh, in November for a Sabres-Bruins game. Uh, we get up to some Predators games too. So, yeah, I try to stay involved as best I can. But um, just with being self-employed and chasing kids around and all that good stuff, <laughs> it gets kind of busy. <laughs> well, how then, but my, in your opinion, then how has this game of hockey changed since you were a coach and what you see now, even being able to watch it both minor league and, and professional, you know, NHL, how has it changed? Well, I think most people would admit that a lot of the physicality uh, has lessened. Um, I think they're even bringing that in the younger kids growing up in the OHL where there's less fighting and there's less uh, body contact just for protection of the, the bodies and the headshots and the concussions and things of that nature. So if they're not teaching it at 15, 16, like my brother, when he went off, he was driving the mitts all the, every time. Um, you know, that's just, you had to bring that to the table. If you aren't to uh, be scouted and, and picked up by an NHL team and be drafted, you better be able to have that part of the game, um, unless you were, you know, a completely skilled player. But um, I think the kids are skilled. Um, I think they spend a lot more time uh, stick handling. They spend more time skating because they're not, um, you know, the physicality is not there. So I enjoy going to have a games. Those guys can move. Um, I would definitely not get on the ice with them, <laughs> especially at my age. Uh, they would make me. They would make me look bad. But um, that would probably be the biggest one. I think a lot of the old school fans they enjoy the scrap here and there, but um, you know it's not needed uh, all the time. So um, I enjoy watching the games, whether there's, there's fights or not. That's awesome. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking some time out to chat with us about your career, your legacy with um, hockey in general in the in the Huntsville area. Um, I've, I've learned some things today, a few Uh-oh. things, especially like <laughs> I had never heard of the Huntsville flu. I thought that was interesting. I think they need to bring that. I think they need to bring that back. Uh, yeah. To marketing. It might be kind of cool. I kind of like it. Um, I had never heard about that and the legends game. That was something new. Um, I'm always interested in the types of, um, of, of causes that the, the league over the years has been involved in and has given to. So I really enjoyed you sharing about that. Well, I'll tell you, Laura, that the, the Huntsville Havoc fans and, and, um, Keith Jeffries and Becky Jeffries, they have donated and given back to make the community like like nobody else has. I bet you you could go throughout all the leagues in in uh, 
the United States and you wouldn't find another team that donates the money uh, and gives back to charity like this team and, and, and the owners do. So I'd be super proud of, that I was part of that organization. You know, it's funny. Those, the hockey players, sometimes I don't think they realize that even, even in a minor league setting, they are somebody's hero. And oh, my, for sure. You know, my yeah. kid looks up to some of them so much and he'll talk about them and he's like, you know, I can't believe he got hurt or he was scrapping like the other yeah. day. Cole was Reginato got got suspended and he was all I, I hate that he got suspended. But, man, I, I bet he, he fought really good, you know, and it's so funny listening to him talk and seeing him look up to somebody like that. And so I often wonder if some of these uh, these hockey players realize just how um, how much kids and are- they, sh- they should, because that was part of my speech to my players when you know when the team was formed and then they all knew they were on the team is is that we talked about autographs earlier um i told my guys that if i ever walked out and you were standing up in front of a kid and you weren't kneeled down and you weren't down to their level pack your bags so i wanted those guys to go out there and respect what those kids were doing, you get down on one knee, you spend some time with them, you chit chat with them yeah. and then give them an autograph, give them a picture because that just, I, I don't know. I just, I just had seen it over the years where players are just standing there and they're signing and walking off. And it's just, you know, like I said, we're a dime a dozen in Canada. So where else are you going to get this? It's not yeah. the, it's not the level to get an ego <laughs> and just, uh, you know, not appreciate the, the kids and the fans for what they oh. do for us. Well, we really appreciate you stopping by and chatting with us today. Well, thanks, Laura. It's been I appreciate a the invite. I, I told you I wasn't that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have learned a lot. Of, like I said, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't realize. And right. um, I always find it very interesting. You know, for me, I've, I've, I grew up, I've grown up in Alabama my entire life. You know, I'm born right. and raised here. And my whole life, it was always football you know that was my quintessential um sport of the south that i was embraced into as a young child and so it wasn't until i moved toward um north alabama that hockey was even something that i knew existed in the state so um for me it's always been havoc and so i always look forward to chatting with individuals who were part of um the before havoc so i I appreciate you you talking with us no worries and i totally get it because when i came down here and I think it was the Auburn or the Iron Bowl game. I walked into a restaurant uh, slash bar and had to have a couple beers and the place was packed and everyone's wearing their gear and uh, people come up to me and uh, hockey fans were like, who, who, who's your team? Who's your team? And I'm like, I don't even know who's playing. <laughs> so uh, my buddies back home are hockey, hockey all day long and they're, they're football guys too, but I try to explain to them you know, college football and I try to get to a, a Bama game every year and there's yeah. just, there's just nothing like it. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's hard to put, uh, in the words, um, football for me. So you, you're trying to do that with, with hockey. So yeah, I, I, I have. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the funny joke was always, um, when my husband and I met, I took our, one of our first dates was a Havoc hockey game. And I remember. Right? <laughs> He's not going to like this, you know, and he right. loved it. He was sold, which was good because at the time he was an Auburn fan and we did not get along when it came to Uh-oh. football. Um, <laughs> since then, he has um, recused himself and moved from the dark side, as I like. Oh, to say. he has. He's moved over from being an Auburn fan to now he bleeds crimson and, and red um, well, through and through. But well, we have always laughed because um, that was kind of like our first thing together was <laughs> was learning about hockey. And, and I never forget sitting across from uh, sitting next to him at a Havoc game and and he was like all into it. And I remember asking him on the ride home, I was like, did you have fun? And he was like, that was wonderful. Like, but literally by the time we left, he had looked up rosters. He wanted to know when the next game was. Right so, um, I think that story is quite common for a lot. It of- is. I've heard that numerous times. And, and I would be honest with you, the, 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 the organization does a great job with getting the players out in the community. And we, we became friends with so many people here locally. And it, and it made the game more fun for them, they would tell me, because they knew somebody on the team. 
Um, so I think it's important that the team continues to, to do that and get out in the community and go to schools and, and meet families and kids and, and do all the things that they do because uh, we do have an impact on people's lives and, 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 they, and you guys and, and fans and everybody impact us uh, in a great and positive way. We're a bunch of guys from Canada. In our mind, we're a dime a dozen. And, you know, we walk out and somebody asks for our autograph. We're like, what? That's, that's just crazy. So, um, you know, it means a lot uh, to us for, for, you know, everything that you guys do for, for the organization. Well, we, um, we're just here trying to tell stories. We appreciate everyone who wants to, you know, share a little bit of the, the Havoc story with Tim right and I. We, we've enjoyed it. But, yes, thank you so, so okay. much. For, okay, for Laura, thank you so much. Maybe we'll see you at the ring. Yes, would love to. And hockey yeah. fans, remember, as I always say, stay sharp in the slot and keep reeking of Huntsville Havoc hockey. The Reek and Havoc podcast is always looking for ways to improve. Do you have a talent you'd like to contribute to the podcast? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at reekandhavoc at outlook.com and let's talk. The Reek and Havoc podcast. In June of 2005, our twin girls were delivered, Melissa and Catherine, and they were born 14 weeks early. Amy and Chris George talk about the Melissa George Neonatal Memorial Fund. They both weighed less than two pounds, and Catherine was 115, and Melissa was 19. Melissa lived for a couple of hours, but all of the medical technology in the world just could not have saved her, and she passed away while she was in the NICU. Chris realized pretty early that God had given us a platform that we could use to try to help people. So Chris and I started the Melissa George Neonatal Memorial Fund at Huntsville Hospital. To know that Melissa's name is living on, we, her legacy continues. And I think that was very important to Amy and I is why you know, the fund is named after her. Because for seven weeks, you know, Melissa fought so that Aunt Catherine had a chance to live. And uh, I think that we wouldn't be doing her name any justice if we didn't carry on because we know we wanted to honor her and honor her legacy and the community Huntsville Havoc, the community in Huntsville itself, they've rallied around that and it's been a wonderful support system for us and I think for a lot of families too when they see total strangers that are are giving. We're online at HuntsvilleHospitalFoundation.org. Click on the Melissa George Neonatal Memorial Fund and you can give that way. There's no donations too small and, and every dollar is just as important as the next one. And if you're giving, then we understand you're giving because you care. And that's what's important is that we've learned over the years that people give because they care. And you can volunteer. And if you're interested in that, you can click on the volunteer tab to fill out an application. We are grateful for any type of support because we know that once we pull those dollars together, we can do big things. For more information on the Melissa George Neonatal Memorial Fund, visit HuntsvilleHospitalFoundation.org. This is Mike Fellaburn, and you're listening to the Beacon Havoc Podcast. Havoc left wing Eric Henderson was activated from injured reserve. Center Carter Colthorpe was placed on 14-day IR. Tonight is glow night at the VBC as the Havoc open the new year with two home games with Peoria. Tomorrow night is adult jersey night. Huntsville is 1-1 one one against the Rivermen so far this season. Be aware of the VBC's clear bag only policy for Havoc games. This includes no clutch purses, fanny packs, and diaper bags. Exceptions to the policy will be made for all medically necessary items after proper inspection. For more information, plus a list of prohibited items, go to HuntsvilleHavoc.com and under the Fan Zone tab, click Security. Also keep in mind that the VBC is a cashless venue. Concession stands or bars will not accept cash, although you can use it at the Havoc merchandise stands and at the Chuckapuck table. Remember, if you're a season ticket holder, doors will open at 5.30 p.m. and remain open until puck drop. You can enter through the doors in the hallway adjacent to the Havoc front office and the VBC box office. Watch the Havoc live or on demand all season long via Flow Hockey. Just go online to flowhockey.tv or download the Flow Hockey app for your device. The Reek and Havoc Podcast. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income, 
and it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-731-1467 That's 800-731-1467 For tickets, official Huntsville Havoc merchandise and more, go to HuntsvilleHavoc.com Visit our website at recanhavoc.com, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and Threads, and listen, follow, and subscribe to the Recan Havoc podcast on your favorite platform to keep up with the only weekly podcast covering the Huntsville Havoc, the Recan Havoc podcast. Recan Havoc.